Oh, perfect. It turned off on its own. Saves me from having to do it. I realized that I forgot to put my one-slide PowerPoint onto my iPad tonight, so we'll skip it. Don't worry, I'll, I'll give you the points over and over and over again. Turn, if you will, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we're going to uh, continue our study tonight. Thank you, everybody, for being back tonight. Those who can make it back out, appreciate it. Nice to see everybody. Uh, we have a visitor as well, Chris in the back there. Welcome, Chris. If, uh, if anybody has a chance to say hi to Chris before the night's over, get to know him. Um, so as we've been going through Timothy, 2 Timothy, uh, we've, we've kind of taken a break for a couple of weeks between um, a couple of uh, extra long sermons that I had to break into two, uh, two different parts and uh, uh, with the potluck last week as well. Uh, it's been a little bit. So the last time that we were in Timothy, we were back uh, in verse 14, and we went 14 through 19 there, and we looked at um, what it means to be a worker approved by God, someone who, can, uh, who is or should be working uh, for God, and what those, um, not necessarily qualifications, but characteristics of someone of that sort would be. Um, additionally, uh, as we continue in this, we look down into verse 20. Uh, verses 20 through 26, and Paul's kind of continuing this this thread, this thought process of a worker approved by God. Um, and we, we're, he uses a different illustration here. He uses more of a, um, a materialistic uh, illustration, if you will. Let's, let's start in verse 20 here. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So we start off, we have four vessels. Four vessels, or if you're a Star Wars fan, four vessels. Anybody, or not Star Wars, I apologize, Star Trek. Ooh, man. Whew, almost got in deep trouble there. Star Trek. Captain, a whistle is approaching. Who said that? What character says that? Chekhov. All right. Um, I, not a fan. I just remember that from a, something I saw. I don't know. Um, so these four vessels, we have one of gold, we have one of silver, we have one of wood, and we have one of clay. Now, some different commentaries and some different scholars that I read on this suggest that the wood and clay vessels that would be in a grand house like this would be used to take out the refuse, basically. Um, I won't go into too much detail as to what I mean by refuse, but you can kind of assume what you will. Now, when I read through this, the many times that I read through this, I see something different. I, I don't see that all of the, that those two vessels are, de, you know, spe- specifically the things that were used for dishonorable things. The gold and silver vessels could have been used for dishonorable things as well. Uh, We don't know what the vessels were used for, but basically what we have is we have four different vessels of varying value, of varying um, appearance, 
if you will. Um, But all of them can be used for God's purpose if the dishonorable is cleansed, right? So even if the wood or the clay vessels were used in some capacity for dishonorable things, like taking out the refuse, as long as they were cleansed of that dishonorable thing, they could still be used to be honorable, right? So from the context of this, from, from this, you know, this whole passage that we just read there, we too can learn how to be vessels for honor, how to be uh, not dishonorable, but honorable towards God. And so that in that we can be useful to the master. So again, going along that theme of a worker approved by God, we also have this now other illustration of useful to the master. Now, this involves effort, and it's necessary if we're going to be prepared for every good work. So first of all, uh, for, in order for us to be uh, useful to the master, here's your first point if you're taking notes. We must work on our personal conduct. Okay, The things that we do, we need to be working on that all the time. Now, I know that you're probably thinking, well, Derek, a couple weeks ago, you told us the me first attitude is not a good attitude to have. Well, if there's something that needs worked on in you, you need to work on it first, right? When you go back to Jesus's teaching, if you're trying to get the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye, get the plank out of your own eye first, right? Jesus says you need to work on that first before you approach your brother with his faults. So we need to work on our personal conduct. Now, in order to do this, we need to recognize things that we need to avoid. We need to cleanse ourselves from the dishonorable. Verse 21 there. Um, Now, Paul is referring to these vessels of dishonor. And in some sense, he could be referring to us separating ourselves, cleansing ourselves from other people who are dishonorable. Because if we go with the full context of this chapter and we go back to uh, verse uh, was that 16, 16 and 18, where he's talking about um, um, Hymenaeus and Philetus, these uh, false teachers that were propagating that Christ had already returned, that the resurrection had already happened. Um, and so he, he rebuked them, but possibly in this, in this illustration here, he's pointing back to them, get away from the dishonorable things. Being a false teacher, teaching false doctrine, of course, is a dishonorable Thing, So um, if you look at then verse 22 here, he says, flee youthful passions. Okay, so what are youthful passions? Now, other versions, the New King James probably says youthful lusts. All right, so lusts, when we look at First Peter in the, the three categories of sin, he lists two different lusts, lust of the eye and lust of the flesh. And the other one is pride of life. That's the three categories of sin. But the, the lust of the flesh, those are things like fornication, sexual immorality, those sorts of things. Those are lust of the flesh. Those are the things that we must flee. Uh, lust of the eyes. We talked about it a little bit this morning. We'll talk about it again as we go through our morning sermon series um, on idolatry. But materialism, things that we desire, wealth. Man cannot serve both God and mammon, right, or wealth. So we need to flee those things. Uh, Paul calls them youthful. Why does he call those things youthful? Well, basically because these are things that young Christians will probably still be thinking of. These are things that teenagers and and even kids in their 20s, I have to say that now, um, 
kids in their 20s. Um, these, are, these are things that our youth today, our young people, 20s, 30s, I guess I still kind of fit in that category, are pursuing. When you look at social media, when you look at Hollywood, when you look at all these things, this, this mindset and this belief and, and this push that you have to have all of this stuff to be successful. You have to have all of this prominence, fancy cars, fancy homes, all these things to be fulfilled. That's materialism. And that can become an idol. And again, we'll talk about that later in our morning sermon series. But when it comes to working on our personal conduct, we need to avoid both wicked associations and wicked conduct at the same time. Those things that are dishonorable and those people that are dishonorable as well. Now, with things to avoid, there are also things that we are to do. All right, we need to pursue, verse 22, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Right? Those are things that we need to pursue. These are also things that we talked about this morning. Things that are good things, right? Things that we need to be pursuing when it comes to being a Christian. And these qualities are something that we have to have if we want to see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Turn to the right in your Bible, a couple of books. Probably only a few pages because those are short books. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, these are things that that have to be sought after. These are things that we must have in order for us to see the Lord. These are qualities that Christians, we as Christians, need to be pursuing. These are qualities, of course, that are well-suited for the man of God. It's what we talked about in our last look through of 1 Timothy and the, the man that God makes these qualities of righteousness, faithfulness, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? All of those characteristics that we read uh, elsewhere in Scripture from, from Paul. Now, the things that we need to do, we need to pursue righteousness, we need to pursue faith, love, and peace, but we need to do so with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, Right? This isn't just something that we're supposed to do on our own. If you look at verse 22 there, and oops, how did I get to Daniel? Bible? 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, it says, um, Pursue those things along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Right? He's encouraging Timothy here, of course, but in, in the broader sense, because the Holy Spirit has inspired this to be with us today, He's in, he, it's for us as well, that we should be striving to seek out these qualities, to pursue these qualities together with those who sincerely love God. Not something that we should be doing alone. Or in the company of those dishonorable vessels either. Right? I hear so many times, I don't need church to be a Christian. Well, <laughs> being a Christian means being the church. Being a Christian means being a part of the church, the one body that is made up of many members that are all together used to serve a purpose, and that's His purpose. 
So we must, both, we must seek both holy conduct and holy associations while also avoiding wicked associations and wicked conduct. Now, avoiding wicked associations does not mean that we're not to reach out to those who are in error. Right? This, this is not an excuse for us to say, well, I don't really need to talk to that guy that I work with who um, you know, goes to strip clubs all the time and, and all that means don't associate with them. Don't, don't have your name alongside them. Don't say, oh yeah, there's Derek. He's the guy that hangs out with the guy that goes to the strip clubs all the time. Derek must go to the strip clubs as well. right? That's what it means to be associated with someone. But that doesn't mean that you are free from or should avoid teaching them the truth. Why? Well, God desires all men to be saved. That's his desire. And he sent his son for that purpose, so that all men may be saved. All who believe on his name should be called children of God. So to be useful for the master, we need to teach them the same things that we need to be pursuing. Righteousness, faith, love, and we do so through our example. Point number two. We need to work on personal relationships. I think this is a struggle for many Christians today. It doesn't matter uh, where you are in your walk of, of faith, but personal relationships is something that, that we either struggle with creating or we struggle with using them to the glory of God. Taking personal relationships that we have with people and, and teaching them the Scriptures, teaching them the truth. Now, when it comes to our personal relationships, Paul gives us some things that we need to avoid. Look at verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Right? Why? Because he says they generate strife. They generate quarrels. They bring ruin to the hearers. That's verse 14. A couple verses back. Verse 16 says that it increases ungodliness. Now back there he was talking about word battles. Right? This says, um, how did he word it on this? Ignorant controversies. So Paul's pretty much repeating himself really between the first half of this section and the second half. First half would be verses 14 through 19 and then 20 through the end of the chapter for the second half. It's, it's kind of a rep- repetition but using different illustrations to prove his point. But the point should not be lost, right? This is an important point. Why do we know it's important? Because Paul repeats himself. Paul says it twice so that it, he gets through. If it didn't get through the first time, here's another example. Let me get it through this way. Now the word quarrel in verse 24 says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Right? That word there means to engage in a war of words, to quarrel, to wrangle, to dispute. So again, it ties back to those word battles. Right? We need to avoid discussions that are, are nothing more than word battles. And I, I see it a lot uh, you know, in a gospel preacher's group and other uh, Church of Christ groups that I'm on on Facebook and other, other things throughout social media. I see these little quarrels over a word in Scripture. A word means nothing outside of context. You can't just take a word and have an argument about a word. You need to look at the whole of Scripture and that's where a lot of problems come in. And that's why it's important for us to study our Bibles so that our sword is sharpened, so that we are 
well practiced with it and we know how to wield the sword in order to defeat controversy in a gentle and loving way. So we're to avoid those discussions. Now, the things that we're supposed to do, it says in verse 24, is that we must be kind to all, to everyone. Not just your Christian brothers and sisters. We're supposed to be kind to everyone, even our enemies, even those who we disagree with. Kind to all. Verse 24 also says that also uh, we're to be kind to everyone, able to teach. Meaning we need to be be able to both exhort one another. We need to be able to um, convict those who contradict. We need to be able to teach the truth in love in order to be useful to the master. Next it says we must be patient. How many people struggle with patience? Yep. Everybody in here struggles with patience. Have you ever noticed when you pray for patience, God gives you situations that make you impatient? (laughs) As a parent, I found that to be very true. Sarah notices it more times than not because she prays for patience and then just everything goes haywire. And it's like, well, you asked for patience. Here's a situation to learn how to use it. Sometimes that's how God teaches us. But we need to be patient. The Greek word that's used here does not, uh, doesn't show up anywhere else in the New Testament. It's the only time that this word is specifically used. And it means to be patient under evils or patient under injury. Right? Even in the face of, of death, even in the face of, of controversy that's coming on you, you need to be patient. Why is that important? Well, in some of those word battles that I was talking about earlier, people jump to defense very quickly. Any kind of tense situation when it comes to our faith, oftentimes we respond in a tense, defensive manner. Rather than stopping and listening, listening to their entire comment, understanding where they're coming from so that you can meet them where they are. Because if you start where you are, expecting them to meet you where you are, you're going to get nowhere. You've got to start where they are and work from that. And you can only do that by being patient and listening to what they're saying. Um, this quality of being patient in, in these situations, this is, this, that's Jesus. Think about, the, think about the conflict and the confrontations that Christ had with the Pharisees that we were talking about in our uh, morning class on Sunday mornings um, for the past you know, three or four weeks when we were talking about that. Every time the Pharisees brought up an argument to him, Jesus didn't get defensive. Jesus didn't say, now shut up, Pharisees. Don't interrupt me. I'm teaching here. He listened. He stopped. He listened. He met them where they were. And he taught them the truth. Whether they believed it or not, that was on them. But it's a quality that we need to have as well. Verse 25. Need to be able to correct our opponents with gentleness. That kind of ties into that last part. Other versions may say humility. Now the word there means gentleness, mildness, meekness. But this quality is something that we need to exude all the time. Just like to be kind to all. I, I, I feel like the all there applies to every characteristic that Paul uh, details next. 
being able to teach all, being able to be patient toward all, must correct all in humility. That means you need to be humble, you need to be meek and gentle in the way that you correct those who are in error, those who oppose the truth, those who are ensnared by the devil, and even those who believe the same things you believe. Maybe they're wrong, maybe they're struggling with a sin in their life. And if you go to them shaking your fist at them or shaking your finger at them saying, ah, 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 you shouldn't be doing that, rather than meeting them with gentleness, we're not going to get very far. So these qualities that Paul is suggesting here, these are not carnal things. Right? He tells us to get rid of anger, wrath, and strife. Get away from those things. And use these other characteristics, kindness, the ability to teach, patience, uh, humble correction. These characteristics are mighty for casting down arguments, to bringing thoughts into captivity to Christ. A lot of the thoughts, a lot of the arguments that are out there regarding faith, regarding religion, they're all man-made. The ones that go against what the Word of God says has been, they've been created by man at the heart of all of it. But our thoughts need to be captive to Christ and what is given in His Word, in His Word alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Don't add to, don't remove from. The end of Revelation, the end of the Bible. So we need to develop and demonstrate a Christ-like character toward the opposition while avoiding discussions that are little more than just word battles. Because what's at the heart of the discussion? Is it really over just one word, or is there more that's going on? So a servant of the Lord must give careful attention to his personal conduct and his associations. need to take... Uh, pay careful attention to personal relationships with those who may be in error, those who may be living in sin. We need to be careful about those things. Paul teaches Timothy in his, uh, through, throughout his letters, and I believe James talks about it as well, in how uh, we need to be careful about the people we are around and the situations we're around so that we're not also ensnared into that temptation. Right? If you're a faithful Christian and you believe that it's wrong to drink and you don't want to drink, but you hang out with people who drink and they're constantly pressuring you to drink, guess what's eventually going to happen? You're going to break down and you're going to join in. The same thing goes with our speech, with our thought processes toward uh, the idols in our lives, how we treat our wives, how we treat our spouses. You need to be careful of your associations and those who you have relationships with so that you don't fall into those same temptations as well. Finally, a servant of the Lord um, who does these things that Paul encourages here um, can be a vessel of honor. And remember, we're a vessel. We are, a, we are the living stones that build up the temple in which the Holy Spirit now dwells. That's what Scripture says. We are the vessel, the vessel for the Holy Spirit. Are we a vessel of honor? We have all been, those, who, uh, those of us who have been baptized into Christ, who have put on Christ in baptism, died to our life of sin, buried with Him in the waters of baptism, raised to a newness of life, we have been sanctified. We have been set apart 
for a godly purpose. And this is our godly purpose. Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, the Great Commission. Go therefore into all the world, spreading the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the, Holy, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That is our holy purpose. That is our job description that Christ Himself gave. So in order for us to be holy vessels, able to fulfill that job description and to be useful to the Master, we need to heed these things that Paul teaches to Timothy. Tonight, if you're here and you have not obeyed the gospel according to what Scripture says, if you haven't died to a life of sin, been buried with Christ in the waters of baptism and been raised to a newness of life, we have water ready for you tonight. We can baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit tonight, washing away your sins. If you have any other need that the church can assist you with tonight, be it through prayer or study or just a hug or a handshake, now is the time that you can come forward while we stand and sing.